Thank, thank you very much, Mr. Harris, for your welcome tonight, for your invitation also to be here and to speak to you uh, about the Psalms, about the Word of God in the Psalter. Thank you for your prayer also. And if we turn just to the book of the Psalms, please. And the, and the first Psalm, we'll, we'll read briefly from the first Psalm, and then we'll turn to Psalm 81 and the verse 2. The first Psalm, well known to us, of course, and it is, it is a preface Psalm. The, the thing about the Psalter is, not only that it's wonderfully inspired, but it's divinely arranged. Even the arrangement of the Psalms is not accidental. There has been design in the placing of every one of them, and especially the first two. And Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And then Psalm 81. Psalm 81 and the verse 2. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Now in, in a single talk on the Psalms, one can only say so much. You're limited in what you can say, but what little I do say, and however feebly I may say it, I, I have a clear intent. And my intention, and it's not to give you an outline of the Psalms, it's not to give a, an exposition of any Psalm or Psalms in particular, it's not to set forth exclusive psalmody or anything like that in the public worship of God. In fact, my emphasis on the psalms is not their public use, but, but their private use, your use, your devotional use, as you worship the Lord uh, with your own heart in your own private uh, closet. But my, my attempt... My aim tonight is to try to give you an enthusiasm for the Psalms, to instill in you a love for the Psalter, a desire to use it. And that's what I, I, want, I want to do. I want you to leave here tonight with a greater love for the Psalms and a more intense desire to, to use them, to often use them, in your life of piety and in your walk with God, to encourage you in the adoption of them in your own worship. To use them frequently, even daily. To encourage you in the words of verse 2, 
to take a psalm. That's what I'd like you to go home with. This word written on your heart. So that every time you're seeking God and being alone with the Lord and reflecting upon his word, this, this thought will come to you. Take a psalm. Take a psalm. The Holy Spirit take, says take a psalm. And I would like that, if, if nothing else remained, that that word would just abide in your heart. Oftentimes, take a psalm. Now, the Psalms or the Psalter as a book in the Bible is unique. There's not a book like it in the world. And in a sense, there's not a book like it in the Bible. It's unique in the Scriptures itself. Now, its uniqueness, of course, is not its inspiration. It shares that with all the rest of the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that includes the Psalms. Oh, and David said, as he penned most of the Psalms, certainly 70 or 80 of them plus, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. So the uniqueness is not in the inspiration, nor is it in its length. And many think, of course, the Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. And if you counted the chapters, and I think also the verses, that is probably the case. But if you do a word count in the original Hebrew, actually the Psalter is the third longest after Jeremiah and the book of Genesis. So its uniqueness is not in its length. That it is uniquely special is seen in the question that sometimes is posed to us as Christians. What's your favorite book in the Bible? And of course, if you've heard that question, as I've sometimes heard it, there's always a wee bit at it, not including the Psalms, because everybody knows that's the favorite book. Everybody would pick the Psalms. So your favorite book, except the Psalms. So that's an indication of its uniqueness, of how special it is to the people of God that every saint knows there's something different. There's something special. And this is not only true of us modern Christians today. This has always been true of the Christian church. That the Psalter has been a favorite, a special. And not only in the Christian church, but also it was true of the Jewish Old Testament church. And that it is a well-known, the most well-known, and the most loved and favorite of all the books we see in the writings of the apostles because it is this book that they quote more than any other book in the Bible. It's way, way, way beyond the next most quoted, which is the evangelical prophet Isaiah. The Savior himself, more frequently quoted from it, are referred to it more than any other book. So it was special, as we shall see, for the Lord Jesus special for the apostles. And the question is, why is this? Why is the Psalter special? Why is it so unique, so popular? And there are many answers to that question. One answer, of course, is that they're full of Christ, Christ-centered, they're messianic. 
We see his face in so many of them. We enter into his experience as a man set forth in the Psalter by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the first three Psalms give a, a taste, a foreshadowing of what the whole Psalter is about. And in the first three Psalms, we have the blessed man, and that preeminently is Christ. And then in Psalm 2, we have the king, the king on Mount Zion, the Lord's anointed, that's Christ. And then in the third Psalm, we begin to meet the suffering man, which is so frequent throughout the Psalms, this, this crying, this lamenting, this always suffering, especially at the hands of wicked and cruel enemies. So those three, like the three legs of a stool, stand there at the entrance to the Psalter, giving us an introduction to its nature, to what it's about, and every Christian knows Christ. Christ the King, Christ the blessed man who never sinned and who loved God's holy word, always in the way of righteousness, and yet suffered, so cruelly suffered for our sins. So yes, special because uniquely Christ-centered. Another answer is that they bring much comfort to the saints. This is why they are unique. They help us. They comfort us more than any other part of the Bible. One theologian on his deathbed said, there is so much comfort and encouragement in the Psalms. And that is so true. Another answer is found in the titles of the Psalms. You will know that the Psalms have so very many titles. Uh, and in those titles we see peculiar names for the Psalms. They're called Psalms, they're called praises, they're called prayers, and they're called songs. And of course these are poems, hymns, and poems, that's the language of the soul. It's not like prose, but whenever you really want to affect the soul and the soul is fired up, it always breaks into poetry. It's poetry that is the language of the heart. And the, 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 these are the language of the soul and of the heart. And they're the language of Zion, in actual fact. That's the way we could look. That's why they're special. We know they're the language of Zion. Uh, they're the way that God wants us to talk. They're the way that the Lord wants us to communicate with him. These titles, you see, they, they show that the Psalms are Godward, praises to God, prayers to God. Very many of the Psalms start by addressing God. And when we use them, we're using them Godward. This is a uniqueness, not comparable to any other part of Scripture. It's our Heavenly Father teaching us the baby talk. You know what it is when parents teaching their children to talk, to say the words and to learn to communicate? Well, the Psalter is a unique book in that it does that to the children of God. It conveys to them the language that the Lord delights his children to communicate with. The way he wants his children to speak and the spirit with which he desires that they so speak then. That's what's unique about the Psalter. And God has put all of this together for us. You know, whenever we, we live abroad, uh, I suppose not uh, if you go on a holiday, it's not going to happen, but sometimes you've seen people that go, to, go abroad and then years and years later you, you see them and you hear them 
and they've adopted the accent of the people. And the Psalter is like that. If we, we go into it, if we live in it, we, we begin to adopt the accent of God. Certainly the accent of the God-man, of our Savior Jesus Christ. This, this is his language. Uh, and this is why the, the Psalter is unique. And it's not just that the Psalms are to be studied. The Psalms are to be studied as the rest of the Bible is to be studied. But mainly the Psalms are to be used. They're to be recited. They're to be said all the time. They're to be prayed. They're to be chanted. They're to be sung. They're, they're often to be sung. Often to be recited. Now, they don't, they, you don't have to have nice music to it. You can just chant, you know, just you know, go along with the words in a very simple format. But, but that's, that's the way they're meant to be used. Perpetually, daily, regularly. Calvin said that in other scriptures, God commands us as to duty. But the Psalms are the anatomy of the soul, are the mirror of the soul, wherein we discover and express griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. That was so well said by Calvin. The anatomy of the soul. So the whole Bible, including the Psalms, are God's word to us. But the Psalms uniquely are not only God's words to us, but also our words to God. Our words to God. This is what makes them special. And, and the Lord is constantly addressed then in them. It has been known as the church's hymn book. It is also known as the church's prayer book. The inspired hymn book and the inspired prayer book of the church. And there is a lot of truth in that. So in them we are shaped and directed how we should communicate with God how he would like us to speak to him. Not always in the words of the Psalms, but having been in the Psalms and shaped by the Psalms and given the accent of the Psalms, you begin to talk in a Psalmish way to God, reverently and sincerely, with the words of Christ that are dwelling in us richly in the frequent use of them. And so we're, we're told this in the Bible. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. With the psalms. Use the psalms. Or Psalm 105 verse 2. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. So, so this is a commandment of God. This is what the Holy Spirit says. This therefore must be beneficial to us to do this. 
This somehow must cultivate something of godliness in our hearts and in our lives. And it's not only the language of praise. It's the language of mourning and sadness. It's the language of one who's sinned against God and is brokenhearted and wants to repent. It's the language of lament. It's the language of confession. It's the language of trust and faith. And so these teach us to commune with God in a way with, with words that he gives us to do that. And this was not just a teaching of the Reformers. I quoted Calvin. I, I, I may quote Luther uh, later on. But they not are the only ones who, who, who t obtained it. The, the, the psalmody has come out of the Reformation, that is true, but they weren't the ones who discovered it or who originated it. It has always been in the Christian church. It comes from the apostles, it comes from the early church fathers. Athanasius, the champion for the defense of the supreme and absolute deity of Jesus Christ against that rascal Arius, he says concerning the Psalms in words that I could never improve upon, and therefore I quote them, I believe that a man can find nothing more glorious than these Psalms. For they embrace the whole life of man, the affections of his mind and the motions of his soul. To praise and glorify God, he can select a Psalm suited to every occasion, and thus will find that they were written for him. Whatever your particular need or trouble, from this same book you can select a form of words to fit it, so that you do not merely hear and then pass on, but learn the way to remedy your ill. The Psalms show you how to set about repenting, and with what words your penitence may be expressed. The Psalms not only exhort us to be thankful, they also provide us with fitting words to say. We are told too by other writers that all who would live godly in Christ must suffer persecution. And here again the Psalms supply words with which both those who flee persecution and those who suffer under it may suitably address themselves to God. And it does the same for those who have been rescued from it. We are bidden elsewhere in the Bible also to bless the Lord and to acknowledge him. Here in the words of the Psalms we are shown the way to do it. And with what sort of words his majesty may, may, may meekly be confessed. In fact, under all the circumstances of life, we shall find that these divine songs suit ourselves and meet our own soul's need at every turn. Now, Athanasius died in AD 373. And if we go on a few more years, I'm thinking of the church fathers, their love for the Psalms, their use of the Psalms, how they depended upon the Psalms, how much they meant in their devotion to God. And we're come now to AD 430 and to a city called Hippo in Algeria, North Africa, and there's lying ill on his dying bed, a man of God, a great man of God. He's, he's nearly 76. His mind is sound, but his body is weak. 
and very frail. His name is Augustine. Augustine of Hippo. He was saved as a, an adult, in adulthood, after initially rejecting and ridiculing the Christian faith of his mother. He, he said, with my mother's milk, I sucked in the name of Jesus Christ. But he, he turned against the things of God and he embraced, he embraced a false religion. But at last he grew weary of that and he fell under conviction of sin. And in a garden in Milan, he fell under the shade of a fig tree and started to pray the Psalms. Not, not out of a book, but because he'd been taught them and familiar with them as a young, youngster, they came back and he sought the Savior weeping and wailing in the words of the Psalter, How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. And he's crying unto the Lord with this kind of language. And he hears children singing, and they're saying, Take up and read, take up and read. And he gets up off, his, off the ground, and he, he turns to a place where he knows there are apostolic writings, and he takes the epistle of Paul to the Romans and he, he begins to read therein. And he was converted to Jesus Christ. And immediately he began to daily pray the Psalms. He became one of the most learned Christians in the Roman world. His effect on Western Christianity has probably surpassed that even of John Calvin. In fact, John Calvin got his theology from Augustine. Years later, in his famous confessions, writing of those days as a believer, he said, What utterances sent I up unto thee, my God, when I read the Psalms of David, those faithful songs and sounds of devotion which exclude all swelling of spirit when new to thy true love, what utterances used I to send up unto thee in those psalms? And how was I inflamed towards thee by them, and burned to rehearse them, if it were possible, throughout the whole world, against the pride of the human race? I read the fourth psalm in that time of my leisure, how that psalm wrought upon me, when I spoke by and for myself before thee, out of the private feelings of my soul. And now, years later, in 4.30, he's on his deathbed, a frail old man, and his bed is against the wall, and on the wall beside him, he has nailed to it sheets of paper. And on the sheets of paper, he has had handwritten out psalms. Psalms that he picked and chose. Now we know this because his friend Pisidius, he has left us a written account of Augustine's last days. And these psalms were in Latin, uh, which was the language that he normally studied in, and they included Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. The sixth psalm was also there. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. And other psalms of a similar vein. And ten days before his death, he gave word that no one should visit him. Unless the physicians were given admittance, and then they could come in with the physicians. But outside of that, he was to be left alone. And there was just him and the Psalms. And he constantly went down those Psalms on the sheets of paper. And he could be heard crying and weeping and fellowshipping and communion with God as he did so. It was a Psalter. In life and death, Augustine was planted in the Psalter. It was the language of the seeking spirit. Augustine also said, If the Psalms pray, you pray. If it laments, you lament. If it exalts, you rejoice. If it hopes, you hope. If it fears, you fear. Everything written here is a mirror for us. Now, where did these men get this? How did they learn this? They got it from their Savior, Jesus Christ. For the Savior was planted by the rivers of water. That's what's meant there by the rivers of water at the preface to the Psalter. It's plural, rivers of water. Meditating in thy law day and night. That, that's, that's why this is put here at the start, as we enter in. It's the entrance parlor to the Psalter. It's a preface psalm. And at the very start, we meet a blessed man, and we meet how he was the blessed man. Because he was planted. He was planted by the rivers of water. And his delight was in the law of the Lord there, meditating therein, using those rivers of water day and night. Living in the Psalter is the path to blessedness. It's the path to become a certain kind of man. The blessed man. Now, the waters, as I say, the rivers of water, I suggest the psalmist is telling us that's the Psalter. That's the Psalter. Now he says meditating in the law of God day and night. Torah. Torah as well. And of course we can mean Torah all the Bible. We can mean Torah the five books of Moses. The Torah. Meditating on the law of Moses. But coming here at the preface to the Psalter. The Holy Spirit is saying the Psalms are Torah. The rivers of water. Now, as you study the Psalms, 
you'll find that they're divided into five parts. Clearly distinct. Five books. Not one book. Five books. We'll not go into that. But that has been so arranged to imitate the Torah. To imitate the law of Moses. At the preface, it's referring to the whole book. Be by this book. Live in this book. Be planted in this book. Meditate in this book. Use this book daily, day and night. And you'll be planted by these rivers. And godliness will be cultivated in your life. Holiness will multiply in your life. You'll be the blessed man. And that's what this Psalter is. 150 Psalms into five books. Rivers. Blessed rivers, purifying, soul-refreshing rivers from which the saints have perpetually drunk daily. And the scene is not just about a river. The Psalter is the rivers. But the preface is about the tree. And preeminently that tree is Jesus Christ. It is. There's only ever one blessed man. One who was so good in all this regard. And he was a man who loved the Psalms. Who loved the Psalter. Who stood out as different. Something beautiful. Something evergreen. In the midst of earth's winter. In the midst of all that suffering, in the midst of even the cursedness on the cross, on the tree, in the midst of all of that drought, even as he's made a curse for us, he is the blessed man. The blessed man who's been planted by the rivers of water. And even as he's been made a curse, he is manifesting the blessedness that he is. And he used these psalms. He did. He loved this altar. He quoted it. He preached it. He prayed it. He said it. He sang it. The lamentations are his lamentations. They're all messianic. The brokenheartedness is his brokenheartedness. The tears that you read constantly throughout it, they are his tears. See, this is why the Psalms are so wonderful. We, we enter into the emotional life of Jesus Christ. As his body, we begin to share it with him in our union and communion with him in the Psalms. They're unique. And so he was the blessed man. And he had no bed of ease. He had nowhere to lay his head. Daily he was crucified. He had no study even. He had no private room. He had, he had little privacy. He had no chair in a library. He had no library of Great numbers of books like ministers and had none of that time and none of that quietness and none of that sanctuary. But he knew the Psalms because he'd been taught them from a child. In the synagogue they were constantly repeated, constantly chanted. Every Jew knew the Psalter by heart. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have psalm books to, you know, to sing the way you have tonight. They, they didn't have any of that. It was by repetition, by use, that they knew them. Something the Christian church has lost. 
So think of our Savior in the use of the Psalms. Consider him his last night, his very last night with the apostles. As he concludes the meeting in the upper room, how did it close? How did it end? They sung a psalm together. It was Psalm 118. The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This, this is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. And they came along and they bound him. They bound the lamb for the sacrifice. You know, the apostles never forgot that psalm. The psalms are transformative, especially when they are brought to us by Jesus Christ. And that psalm was transformative in their lives. It did something to them. They never sung it, they never read it, they never used it ever again in the same way as they did before they sung it that night with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says in the midst of the church, I will praise thee. And he uses the Psalms. And he sings the Psalms with us. And in our devotion, we sing the Psalms with him. Christ joins with us in our union to him. This is the uniqueness of the, the inspired word of God in the Psalms. You remember our Lord's last day on earth, before, as he was being crucified. You, you know that he said seven things from the cross. Three of them were prayers, if I, if I recollect rightly. Two at least were from the Psalms. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he didn't stop there. That's all the apostle records. That's all that he said out loud. But he didn't stop there. He's going on. He's going on in the Psalter. He continues on. And he continues on till he comes to Psalm 31. And in Psalm 31 he comes to the place where he says, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he dies on the cross. Like Augustine. He dies on the cross using the Psalms using the Psalter, praying the Psalter, going through the devotional use, the blessed man, even as he's been made a curse, going through the Psalms unto his father. That's how the Christian church has always viewed it. And that is why Augustine and Athanasius and the Christian church fathers and anyone in fellowship with Jesus Christ, they've come to see this, to discover this, to know this. So it is Christ the blessed man by the rivers of water to the end. To the end. But it's not just Christ you see. It should be his body too. And we, while we're not directly referred to in Psalm 1, we can become this blessed man in our union to him. Because it says there at the end of chapter 2, 
Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So yes, there's the blessed man, but he's not alone. There's others as well, through Messiah, through the king in Zion. If they trust in him, if they believe in him, they also will become to be blessed too, because blessed are all they that put their trust in him. These two preface psalms, they begin with the word blessed, they end with the word blessed. The man blessed through whom we are blessed, and we all become blessed in our union to him, in our faith and trust in him. So you can be blessed too by the rivers of water. This is what the preface is saying here. And so that is why the Christian church has always encouraged the daily use of the Psalms. It's a river that constantly runs through the church's worship. And it ought to run through yours too. To be a vital part of your communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said that the Psalter ought to be precious to us. It could well be entitled a little Bible, he said. Since everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended and compacted into it. A manual. It seems to me as if the Holy Ghost has been pleased to take on himself the trouble of putting together a short Bible, touching the whole of Christianity, in order that they who are unable to read the whole Bible may nevertheless find almost the whole sum comprehended in one little book. The Psalter, he said, is the very paragon of books. And those words of Luther, they reminded me of Paul's words to the Colossians. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I know there's been a lot of debate about those verses, a lot of controversy uh, between churches, but... I don't think that we, we should be bothered in going down that avenue. Things are, several things certainly are clear in that verse. The word of Christ is to dwell in us. And one of the helps to let that dwell in us is the Psalms. Whatever your understanding of hymns and spiritual songs is, certainly the Psalms are there. And it's a little Bible. The whole Bible is the word of Christ, but there's something unique about the Psalms. It's a little Bible. If you get that into you, you're getting the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And as well as that, they're Godward. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. To the Lord. You, you don't entertain the Psalms, but you use them to the Lord and for the Lord. Now, we looked at the start of the Psalter, uh, the preface psalm, the entrance, this right way, this good way, this way to be planted by the rivers of water. Uh, how does the Psalter end? Let's, let's turn to the last psalm, Psalm 150. Psalm 150. And we here come to the climax of praise. Now, now the thing about the Psalter, this, this fifth book of the Psalms, is we have all these hallelujah psalms at the end that begin with praise ye the Lord and end with praise ye the Lord. But in, in Psalm 150, we have 
the multiplication of the word praise in every line, uh, not just every verse, but every line. Praise ye the Lord, praise God, praise him, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Verse 6, that everything that hath breath, praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Do you see how the psalm ends? Uh, as, you come in, as you work your way through the Psalter, as you plant it by the rivers of water, and you work your way through the Psalter, and, you, and you're building up, and you're coming to a climax, and it's a climax of praise to God. And that, that's a wonderful contrast with, with the commencement. This is the end. You see, the Psalms are, are pilgrim Psalms. They're Psalms for the pilgrims. And we're traveling through this world, and it's, it's, a, it's a dehydrated place. It's a hard place. It's a difficult place. We're going to go through the path of tears and a broken heart, making our bed wet with tears and all of that. But we're making our way to the end, to the heavenly Zion, and we're getting to the abundant entrance into the heavenly kingdom and the climax, the climax of praise. The Psalter is like a believer's life. You begin on it, you know the secret of blessedness, planted by the rivers of water and continue there, whatever else happens, you make your way and then the abundant entrance, the, the peak of praise, the joy evermore, into the joy of the Lord you enter and the blessedness and the wonder of that. So, so that's how the song ends, the Psalter ends. And that's the right use of the Psalter to bring us to that to the satisfaction of holiness, to familiarity with the Lord, to praise him, to joy unspeakable and full of glory. The entrance, the exit. So I encourage the regular use of the Psalms. Take a psalm. Read your Bible, read your Bible regularly. You might use it once a year, read your Bible. You might go through it two times a year, whatever. Uh, just you know, read your Bible, but if you do that, you'll maybe read the Psalms once as well. But I'm suggesting that we should give more to the Psalms in addition to that. Not just as part of the going through the Bible, you come eventually to the Psalms and through the Psalms. I'm suggesting the Psalms are not of that order. They're unique. Take a Psalm. Take a Psalm. And the ancient church has always encouraged that and brought it into the liturgy. Some go through the Psalms in a month, five Psalms a day, brings you through the Psalter a month, every month, 12 times a year. That's possible. They can be read quickly. You can listen to an audiobook at a faster speed and go through them, but it's the repetition of them, the reusing of them. The devil hates it. He hates it. And it does something to you. It's purifying you. It's getting the words to dwell in you. Take a psalm. Even if it's only one. Even if it's only part of a psalm. You can take one psalm a day, and I, I think in two years, you'll probably get five times through the Psalter. Take a psalm. That's what I'm stressing. And may 
in your endeavor to do that. And don't get into bondage about these things. You know, there are days we miss and all of this and that. But may it often come to mind. Maybe you'll listen to some chanting the Psalms, going through the metrical Psalms, or even through the Psalms in a choir. Sometimes you see them chanting through the Psalter of the, of the old prayer book, the Anglican prayer book. It's wonderful. Many times I've listened to the chanting of the Psalms and slowly gone through them, and it's just a blessed experience. So I encourage it. Don't remember everything. I'm not expecting you to remember everything. But try it. Take a sound. Take a sound.